Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, we're a couple of days removed from the 2020 NFL Draft. And by all accounts, from numerous analysts and experts and pundits, they love what John Elway, Vic Fangio, and the Broncos have done in the draft. What is your takeaway from this draft now that we're a couple of days removed from it, as I said, and now the Broncos are doing their voluntary virtual off-season program that started on Monday. Yes, the voluntary virtual. Like, things are actually voluntary. I love that. Uh, I've never been to a practice that was voluntary, that was actually actually voluntary, but I digress. Uh, a couple takeaways. So, first takeaway uh, is Mel Kuyper Jr. probably needs to retire. Um, I don't know if you noticed there was a tweet that was sent out, and I can't remember who sent it out. Somebody shared it in Slack. And it had all these experts with their uh, post-draft grades of what the teams had done. And the Broncos from pretty much everybody were, you know, in that B-plus to A-plus range. Mel Kuyper Jr., C-plus. I'm not sure why he was the only one that was unhappy with what the Broncos did. Uh, I guess he's a tackle bro. Or or maybe he's a linebacker bro. Uh, I I don't know. But, uh, and that all rhymed. I didn't mean to do that. Um, I I would say, like, I'm not going to go full on grade, but I was very pleased with what the Denver Broncos did in this draft. And I I think it shows the commitment that John Elway and Vic Fangio and and this coaching staff have to improving on offense and really giving their young quarterback in Drew Locke an opportunity to succeed. And and that's really what this draft felt like it was about. Uh, There were, there were some picks that were obviously on the defensive side to help uh, to help with that. But most of the picks most of the things that the Broncos did as far as impact players that were going to be uh, making an immediate impact on the, on the starting roster were offensive players. You know, your, your KJ Hamlers and your Cushenberries, obviously Jerry Judy with your first round pick. And you could, you can just tell by those picks that John Elway has committed to Drew Locke, at least for 2020, that Drew Locke is his guy and they're going to give him every chance that they can to fail or succeed. Uh, they're going to give him a whole bunch of rope, and he's either going to use it to climb the mountain or he's going to use it to hang himself. And we will find out by the end of the next season, for sure. And I love that that was the commitment that was made by the Broncos to go and do that. I said it on our live Twitch broadcast once the draft was over on Saturday, and it touched on what you just said. I said that just the act of Elway building around Drew Locke should be a huge confidence boost to Drew Locke. Because take the fact that John Elway is an NFL GM out of the equation. And remember that Elway is one of the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterback, to ever play in the National Football League. That nod, which is basically what it is, it was a silent nod to Drew Locke that, hey, you're our guy. Go do it has to be a huge confidence boost or should be to Drew Locke. 
And I said it in horse tracks on Sunday where I said the same thing. I, I don't want to get too carried away with that, but I think that is, that says so much just by the act alone. Obviously the weapons will help, but it's the, the, the belief, the nod from Elway to Locke, like, here you go. Now go do it. And I think the other thing that this does is it puts the onus now on Pat Shermer because Drew Locke has the weapons. Now Pat Shermer has to give him the offense with all of those weapons where it utilizes them and allows Drew Locke to use his strengths to use them. And I, I, I am, I, I where I'm where I'm at after Friday and I, I absolutely love what the Broncos did in this draft. And I, I also said it on our, our Twitch on Saturday that I look at what a team does in the top 100 picks because that's where you're going to find your impact players and your starters. If you get anything in the fourth on down, fourth or later, it's gravy. So the Broncos had five picks in the top 100. I figure they came away with three starters from those picks. And if KJ Hamler doesn't start, he is going to see a lot of time on the field because you're going to want to get him on the field because he's such a mismatched nightmare. He is the Broncos' version of Tyreek Hill. So you have Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, now KJ Hamler. You have Noah Fant. You have uh, the tight end that the Broncos picked from Missouri, which was Drew Locke's favorite target, Albert. Akwu Egunam. Itching to say it. I know you were just itching to say it. Yeah, because I can actually say it right. Along with Michael Amoudier. Ojemudier. Ojemudier. So so you get him in the fourth round, which is another speed guy. I I just, I I absolutely love what the Broncos did in this draft. And I, I still think the best pick of all of them was Lloyd Cushenberry because I think... When you take, when you remember that he was the center for the guy who just had the best college football season in the history of college football, for a team that just won a national championship, and he could have been the MVP because of what he did in the locker room. You're now taking him and putting him in this locker room in the interior of that line with Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow. I love that pick because it sets up all the other picks, which were already great picks. So it just makes them greater, great picks. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. As you were as you were talking, an analogy popped into my head. You were talking about uh, surrounding Drew Locke with all of these toys and gadgets and uh, you know things like that and, and what the draft really said about Elway's confidence in Drew Locke and that, that nod. I almost see... John Elway in that first those first five games for Drew Locke as this this was his opportunity to learn how to drive, and he's he's driving a, a you know an old jalopy that's not very good. Uh, let's see if you can get it around the corners. Let's see if you can park it park it well. Uh, let's make sure that you know how to hit the gas, hit the brakes, follow the you know follow the road signals. Okay, now that we know you can do that, here's the keys to the nice car. Here's the, here's the key to the Mercedes sitting in the driveway. Go ahead and and drive it. Uh, that that's kind of the the image that I got in my head as you were talking about that. This idea of uh, you know go ahead and learn how to drive. Okay, now we feel really good about where you're at. Let's see what you can do with this. Let's see if you can handle this vehicle. And and that is something that 
I think everybody in Broncos country is excited about and, and should be excited about. The other thing I think you should be excited about, and, and I'm, I'm going to sort of throw out a little history lesson. I tweeted it out today because I actually heard it on, uh, I, I sort of came up with it. I heard uh, on the radio, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show this morning, and they were talking about nine years ago today, uh, Cam Newton was drafted number one by the Carolina Panthers. And, and that's all today, well and being, good. today being, today being April 28th, Tuesday, Tuesday, April 28th. And so Tuesday, April 28th is also the nine-year anniversary of the addition of Von Miller. And it is also what you might consider John Elway's first draft as an NFL GM. Now, I know Brian Zanders was still there, uh, and so some people will credit Brian Zanders with some of those picks. But if you look at what John Elway used to do in the draft, and, and this is something that I've, you know, we've seen a, a progression here with John Elway. We've seen this movement from, uh, you know, sort of what you would call an easy pick in Von Miller. I don't think Von Miller was a difficult pick to make with his first pick, but just the evolution of John Elway's drafts and the way that he has approached the draft. And in the 2020 draft, the 2019 draft and the 2018 draft, those three drafts is in particular. Uh, and I know that it's hard to judge 2020 because all of these players could come out looking like, you know, uh, horse dung after a while, but just on the surface of what we are seeing now and what we have seen from the two previous drafts, the evolution of John Elway in the draft and the way that he has approached it and and the the fact that he seems to have grasped the concept of reading what's going on within the draft, understanding what his team needs and making decisions based on that is really, really uh, important. I also love the fact that in this draft, the Broncos were working to trade back into the first to draft potentially a, a linebacker, potentially Patrick Queen, and it fell through uh, or it didn't happen. And even though it didn't happen, they didn't get that guy that they wanted in the first round. They were still able to make the most of the picks that they had and still get the guys that they thought were going to make this team better. And it was all about offense and it was all about uh, giving Drew Locke toys to play with. But it was also about finding guys on defense, like an Ojemudier, who can who can fit in with Vic Fangio's system, like a, a McTelvin Agim, who can plug into that defensive line rotation that is going to be so essential to the defense's success. Uh, you know, and then those back end guys as well, the the Sternads of the world, Sternad, Sternad, the linebacker from uh, Wake Forest, who uh, are also going to have opportunities. I don't think that there is a way that you can judge whether these are hits or misses in the future. But what you can say is that John Elway and Vic Fangio's approach to this draft is something that people should be excited about because the way that they work together, and we've seen it ever since Vic Fangio joined the football team, the way that they work together is impressive. I, I am, I'm blown away by it because there is a partnership there that they have created that seems to work for this franchise. And if they can continue to get things right, and if this draft pans out the way the last two drafts have really sort of panned out, the, the Denver Broncos are going to be in a position of success for the next five to ten years if they can continue to work with with each other the way that they have. So just setting the players aside, the Okwegbunams, Okwegbunams, gosh darn it, I really wanted to say that right. The you know All of those players that are going to be impact players and just recognizing that the front office and the coaching staff seem to be in lockstep. Fantastic. And we haven't even talked about the sixth round pick Fresno state guard, Natan Moody. Oh yeah. 
bench who, press king. Who could be like there are a lot of people saying he could be the steal of the draft because if it, the only reason he fell that far is because of injury concerns. He just he can't stay healthy. If he can stay healthy and he gets the chance to work with the best offensive line coach in Mike Munchak, he really could be the steal of the draft. And as you said, he's a bench press king. He bench pressed 44 reps at the combine. Like I, I don't know if I could do one. And he did 44. 45. Talk about 225 maybe. pounds is a lot of weight to lift off your chest. I mean, let's let's face it, 225 pounds is a lot of weight to lift off your chest one time. He did it 44. I, it, and I know that there's... Not nine. <laughs> two fours, not four plus four, which is eight. It, it, it really is insane to just think about just the sheer power that goes into that. And the translation onto the football field might be... I mean, obviously, if, if you are a bench press king, I, I sort of think about the old Saturday Night Live bit with... Uh, Chris Farley and some of the other guys, Adam Sandler was in it. How much you bench? Hey, tough guy, what you bench? And they're all sitting there with their tiny little legs, and uh, but they but they got huge upper bodies. I, I get it. There are people out there that can bench press insane amounts of weight. I'm and, actually thinking of Hans and Franz. Hans and Hans and Franz is another good one. They're here to pump you up. Uh, I, I, I'm allowed to say that, right? Yeah, of course I am. It, it that is insane in and of itself. But you're right. When you look at where he could have been drafted if he didn't have those injury concerns. Some guys just are, they just deal with injury and then they get into the league and uh, they're, they kind of get past those things. The offensive line could be a, a strength. Now I'm, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that wanted the Broncos to go tackle, but if you look at the way that the draft fell, they weren't going to trade up to get a tackle. That's never something that they were going to do. And by the time they were picking at 15, there really weren't any tackles there that we're going to have as much of an impact as Jerry Judy is going to have. And then taking a tackle in the second, third, fourth round, are you really getting a guy that's going to actually compete with Garrett Bowles and Elijah Wilkinson and, and, and Juwan James? Probably not. You're, you're drafting a project and why waste a pick on a project in 2020 when you're still trying to figure out what you have in 2020 with the guys on the team. So I actually was happy that they avoided tackle because they didn't get one of the top three or four. So that was, that was actually smart on Elway's part to not waste a pick on a guy who was just going to be a project that didn't have the upside of a Natan Muti or, or some of these other guys that they picked. In terms of Moody actually transferring that strength to the field, there's a clip of him throwing Ed Oliver around. Ed Oliver is, was one of the best defensive linemen if not the best defensive lineman in the 2019 draft. And he was with the Buffalo Bills last year. So he, a lot of people considered him to be a top 50 pick if he's healthy. And the Broncos got him in the sixth round. I think I wasn't alone in thinking that Lloyd Cushenberry was at least a high second round pick, at least a second round pick. And they got him in the third round. So while I get that people wanted to get the replacement for Garrett Bowles, the way this draft played out couldn't have gone any better for, for John Elway, for Vic Fangio, and most importantly, Drew Locke. I think the biggest winner in this draft is not the Broncos. I think it's Drew Locke because now he has so many toys that 
he's going to be able to come into a situation a lot like Patrick Mahomes did in Kansas City with all of those weapons, with Tyreek Hill, with Travis Kelsey. And now they have Mikel Hardman. They still have Sammy Watkins. He's coming into a situation now that's similar to Mahomes in Kansas City. And the other similarity is his new offensive coordinator comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree in Pat Shermer. So I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. And I I think it's time to, to start considering nicknames for this offense. Ooh. While I, I get that they still need to get on the field, Mile High Report released a, a shirt on Tuesday that had the draft classes, the Mile High Track Squad, which I totally get. But the one that I've been sitting on is Orange is the New Blur. Oh, I like that. It sort of takes the orange and blur uh, that we've heard from a uh, friend of the show, Benjamin Albright, uh, and and adds a little bit of uh, the, the pop culture uh, with uh, Orange is the New Black, uh, but Orange is the New Blur. I like that. I, I, I'm, I'm actually... I'm a big fan of that. I think that works for me. I, I, uh, I, I think you're right though. We haven't seen them on the field yet. We definitely want to make sure they get out on the field and, and we can uh, sort of christen them something, but that's a good place to start for sure. And I, I, I interesting that you've been sitting on that. You haven't, haven't shared that one even with me. So uh, if you're hearing it for the first time, so am I. And it's uh, it's a pretty good one. I like it. I, I got another one. Okay. I'll take a second one. Blurred orange. Blurred orange. Hmm. I like the first one better. I'll, I'll be honest. I like the first one better. Better. Uh, or the the orange is the new blur is, is a good one. I, I just because it's new speed, right? It's the the Broncos have never really been a team that have had this kind of speed that have had this kind of uh, track team out there. At least as that I can remember. I cannot remember a team in Denver with this much speed. So uh, I like that. And okay, so blur blurred orange. Ah, that's a good one. That's I don't I don't know I have to th- I'm 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 gonna process that I don't have any nicknames for you I, I I'm not I'm not a, a nickname guy yet I mean that's one of those things where you know we had the orange crush and then we came up with the orange rush which I really liked um, you know the no fly zone was one of those great nicknames that's got to be retired I think now there's nobody left uh, so you you got to have a new nickname I'm not sure what you do uh, as far as that goes but I'm 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 sort of leaning towards I'm leaning towards orange as the new blur because I, I I just I like that that one that one's a fun one that's that is definitely a fun one and it actually sort of plays into something that Vic Fangio talked about and that that sort of segues us into the quotes that that we wanted to talk about with uh, Vic Fangio and John Elway when they met with the media and he was talking about speed and the question was uh, on adding speed to the roster with this draft and trying to keep pace with Kansas City and and Fangio said we needed to score more points whether we're playing the Chiefs or not, but obviously playing against them, you're going to need to. That was part of it. Adding the speed is always, it's always good to be fast, but sometimes people make the mistake of just getting fast with players that aren't good football players. We believe our speed that we've drafted has come with players that can play the game also. It was good to get the added the the added speed hopefully we're a harder offense to defend now once it evolves and we get to playing games but we need to score more points and i think that the point of of this quote or the things that he is saying in this quote that are really important is it's not just about speed yes speed is important but it's also about finding guys that can utilize that speed effectively on a football field you can draft 
uh, a thousand, you know, track stars that can run the hundred meter dash in 10 seconds. But if they can't catch a football and they don't know how to do anything with pads on, it doesn't matter. And, and I go back to that KJ Hamler video of him essentially running a hundred yard dash in 11 seconds, full pads and not straight in that, in that Penn state game that got the play gets called back because of a holding penalty on a kickoff, but he goes a hundred yards in 11 seconds, less than 11 seconds, fully padded. And he's, and he makes two cuts and is, it's never really a straight line. That's speed. That's effective. And, and that's what Vic Fangio is talking about. And I, I really like that. It wasn't just about, we have to get fast. It's we have to be fast and good at the same time. He's not just fast. He's actually, he, he's, he's strong too for his size. I, I, I can't remember what the exact amount of bench press reps that he had, but I think it was like nine or 11 or something like that. I think it's one of the two. So he's not just super fast. He's not just a burner. He thinks he would have challenged the the 4.2740 of Henry Ruggs had he been able to run at the NFL Combine. He's also strong. The fact that he is the size that he is, I think he's like 5'9". The fact that he was able to put up that many reps with his size is another I, – I, I hate to keep throwing out this comparison because he, he doesn't beat his kids, but it, it's the Tyreek Hill for the Denver Broncos. That's what the Broncos needed. And then, of course, there's Jerry Judy, who I think is the most complete receiver in the draft, and he instantaneously makes the Broncos' offense better. He makes Cortland Sutton better. He makes He's one of those guys who makes everyone on the field better. And what's interesting about Jerry Judy, since we're going through quotes – Broncos TV did an interview with Nick Saban. I think it was on Friday or Saturday. I think it was Friday after the draft. And Nick Saban said that they had to monitor Jerry Judy during the season because he was working too much. Too Saban, Saban said he would practice and then go and hit the weight room for some extra work. That guy, he he's committed. I take that however you want, but the fact that Nick Saban would have to hold a guy back, Nick Saban is holding a guy back from doing too much work. Yeah, it, I think that says something it, about it, Jerry it Judy. Volumes. It speaks volumes about him. I actually wanted to, to to talk about that a little bit. There were some people after the draft that saw him do his. Uh, some of his post-draft interviews and things like that. And he didn't come across in those interviews as um, extremely charismatic. And there, there were some people who were worried about uh, whether or not he was, he was really committed to, you know, like he didn't seem like he was that excited. He didn't seem like he was, uh, he was one of those guys that, um, that was just ecstatic to be drafted. He, He wasn't crying. He wasn't jumping up and down. He was just kind of very plainly answering questions. And, I think that that particular interview from Nick Saban should put all of those concerns to rest. Uh, the idea that you've got a kid it, that after he gets done working out, wants to go work out uh, a kid that gets done practicing and wants to keep practicing somebody who's so committed to being on the field that you've got to drag them off the field. That to me is you want to draft guys like that. You want guys like that on your team because that, that rubs off on people. And I, I think about, and it sort of pops into my head, if you've been following along with The Last Dance, which is that uh, 
documentary on the Chicago Bulls final season with Phil Jackson as a head coach and Michael Jordan there and, and that final championship run. And they've been going through not just that 97-98 season, but but really the careers of some of the main players on that team. And it reminds me of a guy like Michael Jordan who wanted to be in the gym and wanted to work hard and wanted to prove he was the best. It reminds me of people who have a championship mindset. That that notion of I can't be I I cannot let myself be beat by letting somebody else outwork me. And so putting aside maybe a sort of a lackluster you know character somebody who uh, isn't isn't going to pop out on the screen and and be you know like a Drew Locke, right? Somebody who's who really shines in front of the camera. Take that away and just look at Jerry Judy for what he is. And what Jerry Judy is is somebody who is going to outwork you no matter what. And and you won't beat him because he isn't prepared. You might beat him because you're better, but you won't beat him because he isn't prepared. You won't beat him because he hasn't been working out. You won't beat him because he hasn't been putting in the time and the effort. And so that to me, you want guys like that because it rubs off. Because if I'm if I'm a guy on that team and I'm trying to make the team or I'm trying to become a starter for the Denver Broncos and I see Jerry Judy at the end of practice not go to his car and drive home, but instead go to the weight room and go to get in an extra set of lifting, I I might question whether or not I should be going home. Maybe I also need to follow Jerry into the old weight room there and, and get an extra lift in. Maybe I need to go run some wind sprints. Maybe I need to hit the jugs machine. Whatever it is, those are the kinds of things that rub off on teammates. And you don't have to yell at people to get them to do it. You just have to go do it. And when they see you doing those things, then they know that if they want to keep up, they've got to do them too. Two things stand out about that. One, as I told you, I think with Jerry Judy, he lets his talking on the field do it for him. So whether or not he's good in front of the camera, he's good on the field, which is more important. So he lets what he does on the field speak for him. And I I think he showed enough character for me by doing a TikTok video with Roger Goodell after he got drafted, whether or not he can answer questions with uh, a, a crash Davis cliche or not, whether, whether or not he has the character of Eddie Calvin nuke Lelouch is who cares? I, I want him to be able to play on the field. And you mentioned Michael Jordan. I'll, I'll make it a, I'll, I'll make a Broncos comparison to what the, the type of, persona and and workman attitude that Jerry Judy possesses makes me think of Rod Smith who never wanted to lose his spot because he didn't work hard enough. He was just like Mark Schlereth. He and Rod Smith were terrified that they were going to lose their spot. They, they never ever settled. They never took it for granted. They came in and they acted and, did what they needed to do every single day of the week from the first time they entered the league to when they exited the league, nothing changed on that part. So that it makes me think of Rod Smith. So I I have no doubt that Rod is going to absolutely love that from the new Broncos receiver. And I think Rod Smith also, also said that he's one of the fastest guys he's ever seen on the field when he was doing an interview with Steve Atwater after the pick. So there's there's a lot there's a lot to like about these picks and what the Broncos did in this draft. I, I it's just 
I'm still in disbelief because we talked, <laughs> we talked about it on Thursday after the pick of Judy Broncos country can be excited about the offense again, again. And it just feels so foreign to be able to do that after the last four or five years of garbage. <laughs> I, I have to make a point about the TikTok thing. Uh, my, my daughter is, is of TikTok age, right? She's, you know, in that 10 to 15 range where, you know, the girls are all on the TikTok, And I thought this would be the coolest thing. I can show her that the Denver Broncos first pick in the draft. Look how cool he is. He's doing a TikTok and he's doing it with the commissioner. And I was going to share this moment with her and I show her the video of the TikTok, and she goes, ew, nobody does that TikTok anymore. She was, she was so disgusted that he did the, the dance that he did. That she was like, that's stupid. Why would he have done that? Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was like, ah, but this was going to be like a connecting thing. And I told her, I said, well, maybe he picked that particular dance because he knew Roger Goodell couldn't do anything else. And she goes, who's Roger Goodell? <laughs> so that was, that was, you know, that's okay. That's fine. But no, you're right. And, it, and that goes back to that high character thing that we we talked about. Uh, team captains. Guys, they're good in the locker room. There's, there's, there has been a focus on that as well, which I think increases the success rate of a draft in a way that isn't, isn't, isn't very measurable at the start, but you see it play out. And if you look at the Broncos' last few drafts, they've drafted guys that were high character, team captains, and and, and it's kind of become a cliche and a bit of a joke uh, with a lot of people, especially like in our in our uh, Mile High Report Slack room, where you know. Hey, oh, guess what? He was a team captain. Surprise, surprise. But that that does show on the field. And and with a guy like Jerry Judy, who we were just talking about, and, and a Lloyd Cushenberry, who took over that LSU locker room and was a captain in that locker room, those types of guys, that's going to translate to success within the locker room and on the field. And I, I, I like that particular way of doing things. In total agreement. It, it, they used it to great success in 2019 getting the players that they did. So as the old adage goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> That's right. All right. What else we need to need to touch on here? Um, just trying to look at our, our, our list. Go for it. I think just to, there's a, there's a little bit of news on Tuesday, how the Broncos signed um, free agent defensive lineman, Christian Covington to a one-year contract. Typically, as Joe Rolls pointed out, the Bro- Vic Fangio carries six defensive linemen. So if you add him to the equation, I think that rules out Demarcus Walker. Yeah, that was a – you could kind of tell. Demarcus Walker, when he was picked uh, by the Broncos, he was he was picked probably higher than he should have been picked. I think he was picked out of position as far as where they wanted to play him when he first arrived in Denver as, as they tried him – uh, on the outside, they kind of switched where he was. Uh, and then at that point, you could t- sort of tell that he was out of his element. Uh, when he finally did get back inside, which is where he's most comfortable uh, on the defensive line, I-, I just think it was too late for him in Denver. Um, my-, my guess is he will uh, he will be the, the odd man out. They're, they're going to give Draymond Jones uh, more time to develop and to become a, a player that's a, you know, sort of an impact player on that defense. And so he's going to stick around, obviously, um, you know, McTelvin again is also going to get a chance as a, as a, you know, a rookie drafted by the, by this particular regime. The other thing that Demarcus Walker has against him is that he wasn't drafted by Vic Fangio. He wasn't uh, a part of this coaching staff's plans. He was just on the team when they arrived. So 
he's kind of expendable. Uh, I'll be curious to see what they do with him if they try and, uh, uh, you know, trade him away for for draft capital or if they just uh, outright release him, cut him, whatever the whatever the rules are on that. Uh, but you're right. It does sort of leave him as odd man out on this one. And, and you know, nobody likes to, to see that happen to guys. You know, you want them to be successful. You want them to find uh, their way onto the football field because this is how they make their living. And, uh, you know, you wish them the best of luck. But my guess is he's going to have to find a way to do it uh, somewhere else with another team. And as you said, it only makes sense um, since he hasn't been on the field, can't get on the field. And I think one thing that we're seeing is a purge of some of these other mid-round picks from other coaching staffs too. So Adam Gatsas, uh, I think Jake Butt, Jeff Hireman, Troy Fumagalli, especially now that you have you already have Noah Fant and then you bring in Drew Locke's favorite target from Missouri. I'm going to say it again, Albert Agunam. Well done. You really are nailing that. It's fantastic. Is I I, I just I, that's one thing that's really stood out too with, with especially some of these later and mid round picks. Um, so I, I I don't think you're gonna see Jake Butt, Troy Fumagalli, Jeff Hireman on the roster. Maybe one of the three. Might, and I, yeah, I was gonna say they might keep one of the three, but probably not. I, I because now you have KJ Hamler. On top of that, so as we were talking about on on Saturday, you already have limited options. So you already have three receivers who are going to be on the field a lot. You already have a tight end who's going to be on the field a lot. Now you have his backup, which brings a completely – well, I I think they're very – him, Alberto, and and Noah Fant are similar in how they play, but they're a little bit different. I think Alberto is a a little bit quicker and faster. But then, I mean, that's that's your five – there's your five receivers right there. So I think the fourth receiver spot is probably going to come down to Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton. I don't think – they may carry three tight ends, so if they do, I'd lean toward Jeff Hireman. So you're going to start to see some purging of these mid-round, late-round picks from other coaching staffs start to be purged with this current coaching staff. Yeah. You know what I'm curious about though? And it's, it's something that it actually sort of popped up on mile high report because you have to remember, and and I had forgotten about this as well. The rosters are not going to be 53 man rosters anymore. It's going to be 55. So there's two extra spots and it'll be interesting to see not just in Denver, but really across the league, how do coaches approach that those two extra spots, where do they, decide to allocate the extra resources you know you when you think about it uh, if you look at a football team you have a certain number of players that you carry and you want you want to have those guys on the field and you want to have them available well now you have two extra guys where are you going to put them are you going to carry an extra tight end are you going to carry an extra quarterback maybe you carry an extra defensive back maybe offensive line defensive line so it's it's really going to be fascinating to me, and and I would assume, and maybe I shouldn't, but I would assume with Vic Fangio uh, and the way that they uh, are going to try and um, you know keep the defense strong, but but also uh, build this offense. I would assume that they would use one of those extra spots on an offensive player, and one of those extra spots on a defensive player, and it will be interesting to see where they allocate those resources. That's one that I'm, I actually really am sort of fascinated by. It's a small change; it really isn't a huge change but it's one that will definitely impact the way that rosters look and how coaches approach 
what they're going to do with some of those guys like you talked about that would maybe normally be purged because they were on a different coaching regime or, you know, you've brought in younger guys through the draft. And so now you can, you know, you can release a Jeff Hireman or a Jake Butt and move on or a Troy Fumagalli. Well, maybe they keep one of them just because they have that extra spot and they know they're going to, they want to sort of hedge their bets on, uh, you know, the fact that they've got a second year guy and a rookie. Do you really want to go into the season with just a second year guy and a rookie as your uh, two main focuses on at the tight end position? That's just kind of one of those interesting things you'll have to think about. One thing to consider with that, with those two extra spots is knowing what Vic Fangio likes with his players on defense. And I'm assuming it's the same on offense, even though he's going to let Pat Shermer and the offensive coaches take care of that aspect of it. He loves versatility and flexibility. So I think if you want to earn your spot on this roster, you got to be able to do multiple things. So I think the two, the, those two extra roster spots will go to people who can make an impact on special teams, who not just fill in depth wise for their respective position, but can contribute on special teams and make a difference for the team in that regard. So they're not just taking up a, a roster spot while just sitting on the bench. So I, I think that's one thing to consider with those two extra roster spots. The other guy to keep in mind who I think is going to probably be on the way out is Royce Freeman. I I just don't see how you're going to be able to get him on the field when Melvin Gordon is going to be your bell cow back and then Philip Lindsay is going to be the guy to come in and spell him, so to speak. Change or, pace or bring... back, yeah. So I, I would I would look for, for Royce Freeman probably being on the way out uh, obviously, that means Devontae Booker is going to be on the way out. Um, so it, there are some changes coming to this team, and I I think it's for the good. And uh, it, it starts with the 2019 draft, but also the 2020 draft, that it really does allow Broncos country to get excited about this offense again. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the other one, and I think we should touch on this, the other, the other position – that is, is I think, highly regarded within a Vic Fangio defense is defensive back, especially cornerback. And there was a question uh, for Vic Fangio about the depth at cornerback, uh, and, and he had a pretty good response to that. He said, I feel good. Obviously, we added uh, Bouye, cornerback A.J. Bouye. Uh, we took the Iowa corner, Michael Ojemudier. We have a bunch of young players that we acquired last year, like Duke Dawson, Devontae Harris. Uh, those guys all need to help to develop. They are at the sta- that stage where they need to prove where they are worthy or not to play in the NFL. And I think two of those guys will come through. We have uh, Bryce Callahan coming off the IR list, so we'll have a good group to play with. It's interesting because we, we talked a little bit about this with Bryce Callahan. Um, there's a lot of question about where his foot is at, where his, you know, if, is he going to be really ready to play? Is he truly healthy? I kind of am of the opinion that they didn't, reach for a cornerback that they kind of waited on cornerback because he is healthy. I, I feel like that they're, he's further along than people really know. And so like a Michael Ojemudier, who is going to be a contributor is almost like a luxury pick here where they went and got a guy that fits Vic Fangio's system and is going to, is going to play, but is also, they didn't have to go get him because I feel like Bryce Callahan is probably going to be healthy. Now, I might, I might be eating crow here uh, as we get closer to the season if I'm wrong, but that's just the way that I read that, that it wasn't a pressing need for them because they're confident in where Bryce Callahan will be by the start of the season. I also think it leans toward them signing Prince of Mukamura. 
I think they wanted to see how the board fell off or played out. And then the fact that he's been linked to the Broncos since he was released by the Bears, I mean, it only makes sense. So you're not going to bring in a guy like Prince of Mukamura if you draft a guy in the first or second round. Now, with Ojemudie being on the roster, he he's more of a a project type. I think they they want to they'll definitely throw things at him. And I think with the interview that Kirk Ferentz did, where they wanted to move him to safety, which that goes back to that versatility aspect that Vic Fangio loves. I think the fact that Prince of Mukamura is still out there, I I would look for them to at least kick the tires. And I think they wanted to wait to see how the draft played out before they, they did sign him. Because as I said, you're not going to bring in a guy like a Mukamura if you draft a guy in the first or second round. Yeah. And again, they, they do also have Duke Dawson and Devonte Harris who, um, who showed uh, some ability in 2019. And so they're, they're, they're also there as well. Uh, it is cornerbacks an interesting spot. I, I do think that's a position to watch, but I think that as far as the depth goes, which is what the question was about, it's there. They have depth at cornerback, and they did that uh, just just by adding Ojemudie and then also getting Bryce Callahan back. You'll see that depth, and I, I like the idea of adding Prince of Mukamura. It's, it, it can't hurt, right? The more the merrier at uh, some positions, and I think defensive back is is one of those positions that 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 is a particular saying. Um, how are we feeling? So I think as we sit here, we've had you know we've had a few days to digest the draft. We've sat in the afterglow, right? The the orange and blue afterglow of of what we consider to be a successful draft. How are we feeling moving forward uh, about this Denver Broncos team and and where they are headed and and what we think we can expect from them in the coming in the coming uh, season? I think they're on the right path, and I think it starts with Drew Locke, and that's what we've been saying since December. And in January, they're on the right path because of Drew Locke. I think the thing that they've lacked since Peyton Manning retired is a quarterback, is a capable, functional quarterback. And there's a lot of debate going on about Garrett Bowles. Obviously, he's going to be on the roster for the 2020 regular season. Whether or not they pick up his fifth-year option remains to be seen. I don't think he's going to lose his job to Elijah Wilkinson. But we'll see. I think they're on the right path because of Drew Locke. And it's because of Drew Locke that they went in the draft the way that they did. So whether or not that closes the gap with the Chiefs, only time will tell. I I feel like it was a a Grand Canyon-esque gap to, to begin with. Until they get on the field, there's no way to know whether or not they're going to be able to compete with the Chiefs because they haven't since week two of the 2015 season, which is the last time this organization beat Kansas City. But I think they're on the right path, and I think we've touched on this. I think they're a playoff team right now. I think they were a playoff team before the draft. I think they're absolutely a playoff team after the draft because this was a playoff team a year ago. If one or two games fall a different way, referees don't make the – boneheaded BS penalties or throw the, the the boneheaded BS penalties that they did. They were a playoff team last year, and I think they were better after free agency, and they're clearly better on offense after the draft. So absolutely, I think they're not only on the right path, 
They're a playoff team. Arrows pointing up. That's all you can ask for. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.